But uh, today, you know, is a very, very special day in the life of the church because, uh, as I mentioned, it's the celebration of Christ the King Sunday, which is the last Lord's Day in our annual journey through the liturgical year and of the feasts of the church before we begin all over again on the first Sunday of Advent next week. And it's also the time of year that we come together for the Feast of Thanksgiving. And together, these celebrations bring us to a time and a season where we remind ourselves uh, who we are and whose we are as grateful children of the King. Now, when I was thinking about, uh, you know, kind of that in childlike faith this week, I uh, was reading uh, about a little nine-year-old boy named Charlie who was uh, asked to say the blessing for his family Thanksgiving dinner. And so uh, everyone bowed their heads and Charlie began praying and thanking God for his family and, and for his friends. He was naming, you know, each one, uh, one by one. And then he began to pray for the food. And he mentioned every single item on the table. He, he thanked God for the green beans and the mashed potatoes and the dressing and the pumpkin pie and the, the dinner rolls. Uh, and then he began to pray about the turkey. And he, and he prayed, Lord, I'm thankful for the car that brought the turkey to the grocery store. And I'm thankful for the man at the grocery store who bagged the turkey and carried him out to the car. And I'm thankful for the truck driver who brought the turkey from the turkey farm to the grocery store. And I'm thankful for the farmer who raised the turkey. And by now, right, the family is wondering if Charlie's little prayer is ever going to come to an end. And so his dad leaned over and whispered, oh, Buddy, I, I think you thanked everybody but God. To which little Charlie replied, Don't worry, Dad, I'm saving the best for last. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I think little Charlie was right. Uh, we should be thankful for our family and for our friends and for our material blessings in our life, but we must never forget, as Pastor John said before the anthem, that ultimately we owe our highest gratitude to our heavenly sovereign as the true source of our provision. And that's what this week is really all about. Because when we get together here this Thursday like you're supposed to or home with your families, uh, we carry on a tradition that's older than the founding of our nation and has a direct link with this particular church because uh, if you remember our congregational ancestors, the, the founders of this denomination under the spiritual leadership of William Brewster sailed to America on the Mayflower with the intention of recreating a fellowship like that which had gathered around Jesus himself in the first century. Uh, and they came with a guiding motto, and that motto was no king but Christ. And brothers and sisters, we are the realization of that sacred dream. Uh, the dream of men like William Bradford, whom this church was originally named after, uh, and Francis Cook, and Constance Southworth, and John Rigsdale, and Roger Williams, uh, names that uh, many of the members here, including our, our president, Carolyn Hunt back there and uh, my own family and others have direct family ancestral links to, links back to the, the founding of the Plymouth Colony in 1620 by separatist pilgrims who left the old world and came to the new one so that they would be free to worship God according to their own consciences, but more importantly, to worship God according to the vital tenets of the Reformed faith. Uh, and it was a pretty rough beginning. I mean, probably uh, every school child has heard the story of the Mayflower Pilgrims and their, their first year of sickness and, and scarcity where half their, their number died. But, you know, that's not the whole story. 
Because in spite of everything, they continually trusted in the superintending providence of their creator, and they never forgot to be thankful. So that in 1621, when the Lord blessed their labors and rewarded them with a with bountiful harvest, the pilgrims, those religious ancestors of this congregational faith, uh, set aside three days to praise the Lord and to give thanks to God and to celebrate His bounty with a religious observance combining prayer and feasting and rest. And now to their minds, these, these early settlers, this wasn't a party uh, like we've made it into, but rather was a joyous outpouring of gratitude to the Father as an expression of their Christian faith. And I wanted to, to share that with you up front because you know, I think it's important to understand not only our congregational connections to Thanksgiving, but also our nation's godly heritage as well, because that's missing a lot in today's world. But you know, as important as all of that history is, and as much as I love having a time like this coming Thursday when we can stop and give thanks collectively, what I really want to talk to you about today is the fact that as a nation and as individuals, we should never be guilty of only being thankful to the Lord just one day a year, right? We can't ever be guilty of only being thankful to God just one day a year because every day should be Thanksgiving Day for the believer and every Lord's Day when we get together should be an acknowledgement of our obedience to our heavenly King. And I want to look at those ideas through the last few verses of Psalm 69 that we didn't finish last week. Now, I know you all went home and read it, just like I told you to, but just in case, this will be a recap. So Psalm 69, if you're following along in your Bible, beginning in verse 30. And the psalmist writes, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox or a, a bull with horns and hooves. When the humble see it, they'll be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. For the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his own people who are prisoners. Let heaven and earth praise him. The seas and everything that moves in them, for God will save Zion. And build up the cities of Judah, and people shall dwell there and possess it. The offspring of his servants shall inherit it, and those who love his name shall dwell in it. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. And if you remember, I told you last week that Psalm 69 really is a virtual smorgasbord of Messianic Psalms. Remember, I called it like the golden corral of, of Messianic Psalms, right? Because there's just too much for one sermon, and so I wanted to bring it before you again today, and particularly that verse 30 that we read where David writes, I will praise the name of the Lord with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. Uh, because as I said in the opening, praise and thanksgiving are the hallmarks of every true child of God. And so firstly, David tells us, uh, he says, I will magnify him. And of course, the him that David means is God, right? I'll, I'll magnify him. I'll magnify God. And that's not a new theme for David. That's not a fleeting idea with him. He's told us that before. If you remember back in Psalm 40, verse 16, he wrote, let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let such as love your salvation continually say what? The Lord be magnified. And in Psalm 34, 3, let's read it together. He says, Right, 
But you know, when we read those things, then we have to ask ourselves the question, what exactly does it mean to magnify the Lord? So let's think about that for a minute. Because magnifying is actually something that we as human beings have been doing for a long, long time. Uh, in ancient Egypt, uh, clear pieces of crystal were used to see small objects for close-up work. Uh, the Roman Emperor Nero is said to have used clear gemstones to look at uh, actors on a stage far away from his pavilion. And the magnifying glass uh, itself was invented in 1250 by a man named Sir Roger Bacon at the University of Oxford uh, during his experiment with mirrors and the, the principles of light. And through all of that initial work, we know scientifically there are two types of magnification. One is microscopic. So think of like uh, looking at tiny little cells under a microscope where what you're doing is making something that's very little look much bigger than it actually is, right? And then the other type is telescopic. So you're like looking at the moon or looking at the stars through a high-powered telescope. And what you're doing is magnifying the true wonder and the true greatness of those heavenly bodies and looking at them uh, kind of in all of their, their gigantic splendor and glory. And so when David says, I will magnify the Lord, he doesn't mean I'll take a small God and make him look much bigger than he really is. What David means is I will magnify the true greatness of the Lord so that you and I can see him in all of his holiness and glory and splendor. Uh, and brothers and sisters of children of God, that should be our greatest aim in life is to magnify the Lord so that others can see his true greatness, so that others can see his splendor, so they can see the same glory that we see. Because our, our words should magnify the Lord. Uh, our actions should magnify the Lord. Our habits should magnify him. And our daily prayer be, Lord, may you be magnified in my life. Uh, and this morning, David tells us even how to do it. He doesn't even leave that to chance. He says the best way to magnify the Lord is with thanksgiving. And that's why he continued in the next verse and said, This also shall please the Lord better than an ox or a bull. And what David is saying here is that our thanksgiving means more to God than the sacrifices or religious observances that we could bring into his house. He's saying our thanksgiving means more to God than the sacrifice of our time and more than the sacrifice of our talents and our treasures. Uh, and don't mishear me. Now, our, our giving is important, but it's a thankful heart that magnifies God more than money that we put in the offering plate. But we'll still take your pledge. <laughs> but our good works are important too to God. But it's a thankful heart that magnifies the Lord more than our good deeds. And the Bible repeatedly stresses the importance of giving thanks to God. That's why 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks to the Lord in all circumstances, not just when you feel like it. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Because thanksgiving should permeate our speech and our, our songs and our prayers and our worship. That's the whole reason that we exist. That's why we're here. That's our whole purpose in life and the reason we were created is to glorify and exalt the name of God and magnify his generosity. And think about it for a minute. God has been really generous to all of us, hasn't he? Uh, like a thousand stars in the sky would have been plenty, right? But God generously gave us over 70 sextillion of them. In case you don't know how big that number is, that's a seven with 22 zeros behind it. Okay. 
Uh, one galaxy to live in would be enough, but God has generously given us over 10 billion galaxies, and the more that scientists research, they tell us that space is expanding and getting bigger and bigger all the time. Just a hundred species of flowers wouldn't have been plenty, wouldn't it? But God has generously given us over 270,000 species of flowers. Uh, a dozen or so trees would be more than ample. But God has created for us over 100,000 of them. And just think about how God has been gracious to you and I in our personal lives. Right? I mean, one child would have been a blessing. But perhaps God has given you two or, or three or some folks more. Right? 60 or, or 70 years here on earth would be a great blessing. And yet for many, God has generously given some of you 80, 90 already, and, and likely years more. Four walls and a, a roof over our heads would have been a wonderful blessing, and yet God has generously given most of us homes that millions of folks in the world can only dream of having. But you know, God's generosity extends far beyond the material things. God has generously given us the gifts of his unmerited grace, his unconditional love, his undeserved forgiveness and mercy, and an unending life in his heavenly kingdom in the presence of the king. Now, in our 21st century, especially here, we don't have much familiarity with kings, do we? I mean, we, we know the definition of the word, but we don't have any real experience with them. Uh, most all of us have, have grown up in a, a federal republic and in a, a democracy. And, and in that kind of situation, the power resides with the people. In a democracy, the people tell the leaders what to do, theoretically. Uh, and, if they, and if they don't do what we want, we vote them out of office. But in an absolute monarchy, things work the other way around. All the power belongs to and flows from the sovereign. And that's what it's like in the kingdom of heaven with God as the source of authority and with Jesus Christ who God has magnified and enthroned as king. And now we belong to him. That's why Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 1 that God has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Because, you know, in Christ, we're now citizens of God's kingdom. We've, we've been delivered from the darkness and from the evil of this world. Uh, we still have to live here, right? But it's no longer our home. We're just, we're aliens and, and travelers. Travelers that are just passing through on our way to our permanent home. And our allegiance now is to our heavenly king and not to this land or to any human authority in this world. Which really is a, a perfect lesson for this last full week of November because that's why the pilgrims, that's why our congregational ancestors whose Thanksgiving feast we commemorate this Thursday came to America in the first place. Uh, they came here because they recognized a higher authority than any earthly monarch. They came to America so that nothing could keep them from being faithful to their heavenly king. It, it was King Jesus who they wanted as their ruler and as their sole governing authority over their lives. And their lives and ours, as a part of that kingdom, makes us really, really different from the rest of the world. You know, when the world says, hate your enemies, our king says, love your enemies. When the world says, the one who dies with the most toys wins, our king says, lay up instead treasures in heaven. 
When the world tells us, claw your way to the top and be number one, our king says, the greatest among you will be your servant. And that's because our Christ is a completely different kind of king than the rest of the world has ever known. You know, back in uh, April of 1881, English historian Lord Acton wrote very familiar lines. He said, power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. He said, great men are almost always bad men even when they only exercise influence and not authority. But still more when you super add the tendency or the certainty, he said, of corruption by their authority. Uh, and history is full of, of cruel and self-serving rulers like that, right? But our king loves and cares for his subjects. And yes, his power is absolute, but it remains pure. It remains pure in his desire to cherish us and to nurture us. It's pure because Christ doesn't push us down. He lifts us up. And he frees us from oppression. And he takes the heavy burdens from our back. Because unlike the rulers of this world, Christ's authority is made perfect in his servanthood. His power is made manifest in his weakness. And instead of maintaining a distance from his subjects, Jesus became one of us, making Christ uniquely qualified to be our king because he knows our struggles personally. No matter what you're going through today, brothers and sisters, Christ has experienced our pain. He's gone through our frustration. He's gone through trials of our faith. He even died our death. All the while, critics mocked his apparent lack of power, saying, well, he saved others. I guess he can't save himself. But you know, that's another place where the differences between the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God show themselves. But you know, when the mob was merciless, Jesus was merciful. Despite all the taunts and, and the jeers, he forgave. And even though they stripped him and beat him and hurled insults at him, he showed them compassion. Right? Jesus could have hurled insults of his own, right? The Bible says he could have called down the host of heaven to wipe them out. But instead he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he said that not because he was weak. He said that because he was strong and because he has the mighty power to deliver us and to save us from sin and death, even when it looked like he'd been defeated. Do you remember the people uh, of Jesus' day thought he couldn't possibly be the Messiah because he couldn't prevent them from crucifying him? But ironically, he is the Messiah exactly because he gave himself up to death on the cross. And you know, he did it as a rebellious criminal and as an enemy of the state. Just, just like our pilgrim ancestors were. Just like they were accused of being before they escaped to this new realm of freedom. Uh, and what I want you to, to really see with this all together is this is where kind of the ideas of celebrating Thanksgiving and, and Christ the King Sunday start to pull together. Because both events are about which king you serve. See, the first Thanksgiving was definitely about that. It was about a group of people led by the Spirit into the wilderness to live as they were led by God. It was about people being thankful to God for their harvest. I mean, you know, they, they could have patted themselves on the back, right? The pilgrims could have credited their new farming techniques to the Indians and their hard work. Uh, but instead, they gave glory to God. And that's what our feast day should be about, about serving the King of Kings and remembering he died for our sins and rose again to bring us eternal life. And our thanksgiving should be about thanking God for his mercy and forgiveness and then rededicating our lives to live out that same mercy and forgiveness in our individual lives and together with our families.
And it's also about knowing that when we gather around tables this week to eat turkey, the difference between doing it to honor the gods of prosperity and wealth or doing it to give thanks to the King of Kings who gives us eternal life and then looking to that kingdom and living in it by faith. So it's really a question of will you fix your eyes on the troubles and terrors of this world or will you look to the King? Will you finish out this year in faith or in fear? Because admittedly, our world is a scary place, right? I mean, we see war and violence and terrorism uh, in the larger world. And then in our own families, there's the unpredictable setbacks of marriages and and health and businesses that, that all keep most of us on the edge of our seats all week long, right? But you know, God is not in heaven wringing his hands. He never looks down at the day's headlines and say, boy, I didn't see that coming. Because our Christian faith is instead built on the conviction that our Lord Jesus has a cosmic reign. He's got a supreme reign, and we don't need to wait for some coming day when that reign will begin. It's in place right now, despite any appearance to the contrary. Because if Christ is the Lord of your life, you are already living in the kingdom by faith. Faith in his incarnation, and in his earthly ministry, and in his burial and death, but faith too in his resurrection from the grave to sit at the Father's right hand. That's for those that have Christ as their king. If Christ isn't your king today, if he isn't the Lord of your life, and if you feel his spirit knocking on the door of your heart today, I want to tell you now is the time to receive him. Today's the day. Don't wait. And so I want you to each of you to ask yourselves right now, is Christ your king this Thanksgiving? Is Christ your king this Thanksgiving? If not, as we pray, I invite you to receive him right where you are. But if he is your king, then magnify him this week. Magnify him so the world will see that he is the image and fullness of the invisible God. Magnify him in the face of our politically correct culture because you know you answer to a higher authority. Magnify him in the face of worldly darkness because you and I are children of a sovereign who lives in eternal light. And when the time comes, someday, whenever it comes, magnify him even in the face of death because you and I have an eternal home that's waiting for us in heaven. So magnify him today, beloved. Magnify him because Christ is your king and be thankful. Amen? Let's pray together.